History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spooktacular people. Welcome to this 268th episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast, Ghost Tours for the Theater of the Mind. I am your host, Diane. On this episode, I'm going to be joined by our listener, Jamie Wolf. Jamie had suggested the University of the Cumberlands, of which she is an alum. And as we got into looking at that, she was researching the area. She went, you know, there's a lot of legends all around this area where the school is located in Williamsburg, Kentucky. So we decided to call this episode Hauntings of the Cumberlands, and we're going to talk about various legends and ghost stories. I do want to apologize. The interview sound has some crackling in it. I'm not exactly sure what happened. I tried everything, running it through all kinds of different systems, and could not get it out. So I do apologize for some of the crackling that you're going to be listening to. The recording is not as pristine as I would have liked. Before we get into that, we want to welcome into the Spooktacular crew, Christy, who spells her name just like my sister, with a C-H and a Y. Michelle with two L's, Jacob with a K instead of a C, Megan, Stephanie with an I-E, Carolyn, Grace Ellen, Cassie with an I-E, and Lori with an I. And now, this moment, Naughty. Many of us are very aware of just how important bees are to our world. We may fear their stinger, but it would be much more fearful to live in a world without bees. Where would we be without honey, wax, and pollination? In medieval times, bees were held in even higher esteem and were thought to have a special intelligence in regards to the mysteries of the cosmos. Bees were highly prized and could be found kept at monasteries and manor houses, where they were cared for as part of the community and family. Their behavior was watched closely, and if the bees were seen swarming, they were given special attention. If the swarm was around a dead branch, a human death was imminent. A group of bees flying into a home meant that a stranger would soon call. Good luck was coming if the bees rested on a roof. Communities were very careful about their dealings with each other and emotions because they found that discord could cause the bees to stop producing honey, die, or fly away. Because of all this, the tradition of the telling of the bees was started. Bees would be kept informed about everything important in a keeper's life, like marriages, births, and journeys. One of the most important rituals in the telling of the bees was in regards to death. If the bees were not put into mourning after being informed of a death, it was believed they might fail to thrive or leave their hives. A keeper would need to drape the hives with black crepe fabric and leave a piece of the funeral bread nearby. Then the keeper would sing pleasantly to the bees about who had died and how it happened. These songs became rhymes that were shared across Europe and eventually made their way to America. We should all treat bees with respect and harvest their honey sustainably, but the idea that we should tell the bees all about our major life events certainly is odd.
This history podcast is haunted. And now, this month in history. month of July on the 23rd in 1976, the Legionnaire's disease outbreak starts. The disease is named for the group of men who came down with it in the late summer in 1976 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. The American Legion opened its annual three-day convention at the Bellevue Stratford Hotel in Philadelphia on July 21st with more than 2,000 Legionnaires in attendance. Three days after the convention ended, Ray Brennan, a 61-year-old retired U.S. Air Force captain and an American Legion bookkeeper, died from what was believed to be a heart attack. A couple days later, another legionnaire named Frank Aveni died of what looked like a heart attack as well. Six more legionnaires died and officials finally took notice. Within a week, more than 130 people, mostly men, had been hospitalized and 25 had died. It was discovered later that this was a cluster of a particular type of pneumonia caused by the Legionella pneumoniophila bacteria. And thus, it became known as Legionnaire's disease. Williamsburg, Kentucky is said to be the gateway to the Cumberlands. This area is nestled in the foothills of Daniel Boone country. It's part of Whitley County with the Cumberland River running through it. Another city in this county is Corbin, which has stories of its own, including satanic activity. On this episode, Jamie Wolfe shares many legends and ghost stories from the Williamsburg and Cumberland Gap area in Kentucky. These include the University of the Cumberlands, Highland Cemetery, the Independent School, Cumberland Inn, the Birdman, the Mulberry Black Thing, and Cumberland Falls. Join us as we explore the history and hauntings of the Cumberlands. We are joined by listener Jamie Wolf, and she had suggested a university that she attended, University of the Cumberlands. And as we looked into that, we noticed that there's a lot of other hauntings and legends in the area. So we're going to be discussing all those different things. How are you, Jamie? I'm good. How are you today? I am fabulous. As you probably already know, I like to ask people when I first get them on here, since you're listening to the podcast, what got you interested into the paranormal and the strange stuff? Well, ever since I was a very, very small child, I've had some weird, unexplainable instances that have happened in my life. Specifically, whenever I would go to my grandma's house and I would stay in one of the guest rooms, my great-grandmother's photo from her wedding had this like beautiful pearl antique hairpin that would stick in the back of it and always held it up. And <laughs> around midnight, every single night, that hat pin would fall out. And I would go and I would say, Grandma, did you take the hat pin out? No. I was like, very young when this would happen. Uh -huh. And TV would turn on and off, and I'd be like, Grandma, did you turn the TV off last night? No, no, probably just a great grandma. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> okay, thanks, Grandma. So just stuff like that. And then when I was in high school, I actually had a really intense paranormal incident with uh, a good friend of mine in her car, decided to go seek out a local haunt, did all the little, you know, things that you're supposed to do to reenact what originally happened. And we did it. We actually started. It was crazy. Uh, things were being like pelted at our car. It sounded like somebody was like jumping on the hood of the car. We sped out of this place as fast as we could. And we pulled up into a fast food restaurant into the parking lot and got out of the car. And there are handprints on the car. Oh, 
Yeah. <laughs> it was crazy. Yeah, you gotta hate when something touches the vehicle and you have not seen it. Yeah, we were all dying. I don't think any of us slept that night. Well, on the first haunting experience that you talked about there, at least it was a, a family member. So that's, to me, those are a little bit more heartwarming than scary right. or anything. Right. I, I actually, now that I think of it, I'm pretty fond of that. And like, since have had, after my grandpa passed, had like similar, like I could smell, he was a, he was a drinker, and uh, I could smell his Jim Beam mm. one Christmas. And I was like, why do I smell? And I went and talked to my grandma. She's like, oh, it's just your grandpa Jim. I was like, wow. Okay, grandma. She used to say things like her first husband, my mom's actual uh, first dad would like visit her at night and just show up at the bedside. And she's okay with it. So I was okay with it too. You know, if they're okay with it, hey, no problem. And you know, I'm one of those people, as long as you're not really touching me, I'm okay. Right. I'm surprised, like, when you guys went to Waverly Hills and stuff like that, that you guys didn't get, like, touched. And cause I've heard crazy stuff about people getting touched there. I'll tell you, when we were going in there, I was a little bit hesitant. I've never been hesitant to walk into a haunted place. But there I was just because of all the stories I've heard about it. And there were people in our group that did have some pretty chilling experiences. And I know uh, Dina, who does the Twisted Philly podcast, she had something grab her shawl and move it and kind of tug on it. So that's kind of similar. But I don't think anybody else was touched or anything like that. I know I wasn't. And I didn't think it was all that scary. But a lot of people on that fourth floor were pretty terrified. So that's the place. That's the hot spot. Yeah. When I hear haunted tales and people talk about shadow people... Those, to me, are the most terrifying stories to hear. And that's all the fourth floor is, is shadow Yay. people. So We have a good shadow person story for today. Oh, awesome. What's interesting about this is I literally just did Colonial Williamsburg. And then I was looking at where this was located. And I went, this is located in a, another city. It's in Kentucky, but it's called Williamsburg. <laughs> Isn't that interesting Isn't how that happens? Yeah. <laughs> Can you tell me a little bit about the city? Certainly. So Williamsburg was established in 1819. It's very old, very religious. The Mount Zion Church is kind of what brought the area up to be what it is. It is an old coal town. So we're talking multiple coal temples just kind of all around the outskirts of the town. And that's pretty much where the majority of the people that live in the town got their money. I worked at a a gas station that's kind of offshooting where one of these coal temples were. And I would have people that would come and talk to me about the decrease in coal money and how it's just kind of stunted this area. It's now a very different place from the heydays of coal. The school, the University of the Cumberlands, has very much revitalized kind of the central area of the town. And with that, there's been a resurgence downtown of brightening up the local life uh, and in you know in an attempt to bring in outsiders there are some festivals that actually do bring in a good number of people there's the Sally Gap Bluegrass Festival and it's actually it's great if you love blue, bluegrass music it is one of the absolute gems of the area awesome. and they also it it is it's really it's a really fun time and there's also old fashioned days which is just your typical like every town kind of has this sort of thing where it, Everybody has their wares out for sale and food trucks and fun stuff like that, carnival rides, so on and so forth. 
It is your typical middle of nowhere, small town. The only thing we have is the university and a Walmart. <laughs> so <laughs> it is right off of I-75. You can literally see, you know, bits and pieces of the school in the town right as you're going into Tennessee. It's the very last stop on I-75 when you are right before you get to Tennessee. Okay. And I know the university, it's called the University of the Cumberlands. And I was like, well, I've never really heard about the Cumberlands. What exactly is that? And it's named after several things that have that name. Right. It is named after the Cumberland uh, Gap, which is a mountain gap river area. And I'm, I am, I will completely uh, disclose this information. I grew up in Indiana, but I've lived here now for 12 years. So gotten pretty familiarized with the area but it's it's a mountainous gap this part of kentucky is actually in a low part and uh, a deep like uh I'm trying to think of the exact word for it but it's in the lower part of the mountain range so on either side there's the very very high parts of the mountain and then we're kind of in the bottom pit of that which is the gap in the Cumberland Gap. That must be kind of cool to have that feeling. I thought uh, there's a place in Colorado called Uray that has that kind of effect where it's mountains are all around you and you're just kind of down in the basin that's right there. I think there's right. parts of the Alps that are similar to that too. So it's kind of cool. You kind of feel protected by all these mountains, but it also, I guess, could feel kind of claustrophobic that you're like, to get out of here, we got to go over the mountains. Oh, it's awful. I mean, you're you're right in the pit of the Appalachian Mountains. So we're right there are mountains on either side, and it's gorgeous. Literally, we're in the Smoky Mountains. It was actually funny. I was at a Fleetwood Mac concert, and Stevie Nicks was like, what makes this area so special? What, What is the thing? And I guess they were coming in in the morning through the mountains, and she saw the smoke come up off the mountains, and she's like, oh, I get it. I get the Smoky Mountains now. I get that you know majestic feeling and look in the morning when the smoke is rising off the mountains and it, it really is it's a sight to see how oh, neat well it's something i would love to see the cool thing is is that there's a there's quite a few little natural things that happen because of the area because of the mountains and one of those things is something i kind of we can talk about later the university goes back to the 1800s so this has been there for a long time Right. It was founded in 1889, and it was actually under the original moniker of the Williamsburg Institute. And it was like the area built up because of the Mount Zion Church, the Mount Zion Institute. And that religious affiliation has definitely fueled the school from all the way until very current times. Its first graduated class graduated in 1893. And the school actually acquired buildings from a previous school that was there, the Highland College, in 1907. So it was in 1907 that we started getting a lot of these establishing buildings where a lot of the creepy stuff that goes on around this campus happened. So it basically started out as a religious institution. We find this with so many of these universities, especially in this kind of area. Right. And this one is Southern Baptist through and through. They still are. This is actually the only university that is affiliated with the Kentucky Baptist Association, the KBC. They have always had Baptist blood through and through that sort of thing. So it's yeah, it's in into this day when I was there, it was called convocation. But now it's called what is it called? It's called UC Edge or something like yeah, UC Edge 
which is essentially religious, a religious class that you're required to take. It's uh, like church, but they don't call it church in order to graduate from the school. So did you just start out with one big building and then they bought other buildings or brought other buildings into the campus, built some? How did it grow? They started out with one building and that is now known as Roburn. And then once they were able to acquire these buildings from Highland College in 1907, they were able to grow and eventually get to the point where they were able to change their name to Cumberland College in 1913. And they would actually maintain that name of Cumberland College up until 2005. And that's when they acquired this new name of University of the Cumberland. Very cool. Now, obviously, they have more than just four buildings today. About how large is the campus? The campus actually has about 2,000 students, which is still pretty small Mm -hmm. um, compared to many universities, about 2,000 students that actually physically live on campus. There are, and I'm literally, it's funny because I can, I live on campus. I live in a house on campus. So I'm like looking out my window. I'm like, let's count the dorms. So uh, (laughs) there is Asher, Archer, Gillespie, and Roburn. There's seven dorms on campus. And then that's all housed on one end of the facility. And then all Mm -hmm. there's actually a cool little bridge that they was a real invention for the time and real innovation for the time when it was built called the viaduct. And that linked the rest of campus to the actual school buildings and all of the administrative side of the campus. So it's kind of neat how it's laid out. It's, it's very two very separate quadrants, but that viaduct just links it all together. Did you stay in one of the dorms when you were there? Oh, gosh, yes. (laughs) I lived in multiple dorms. I lived in Archer and Asher, both of which both of which are are pretty haunted, but they're actually not the most interesting of the haunted dorms on campus. And uh, my husband lived in Kleist and Mahan and those both. They're all very old. I mean, you can tell the second you walk into a lot of these dorms how old they are. They just, not in a bad way, but in a very respectful, like, this is a, a very old building. And I know that when I lived in Archer, they didn't even have air conditioning. So, and that oh, was wow. in 2005. So it was... Needed some updating. Buildings. Right, right. <laughs> so let's, we can talk a little bit about Archer. Yeah. Archer was actually built in 1966. And... How all the buildings on campus work, which I'm sure this all the the dorms work on campus, and I'm sure this is like most colleges, is you have your dorm staff, you have a main individual that oversees the entire dorm. And what's really interesting is back when the actual campus was founded, and this goes actually back to one of the oldest buildings on campus, which is Gillespie, kind of jumped around there, sorry. but That's okay. Uh, Back to back in 1913, they were so strict about what girls could do when they decided to leave campus. They had to have a matron chaperone them about. Uh, the matron was actually had to sit with them wherever they went. So if they went out to eat, that matron had to be right there. If they wanted to go a courting, they <laughs> had to have the matron overseeing their entire date. They had strict bedtimes, meal times, all of that. And kind of, it still kind of is that way here a little bit. Like, wow. 
there are you don't have to have a matron with you when you go out on your date but you when you're in the dorm when you are having open house time you have to keep your feet on the floor you have to keep your door open um the RAs that will go through the halls have to be able to see what you're doing you there's no such thing as a closed door policy on this campus when men are in women's dorms or vice versa Wow, that blows my mind, because when (laughs) I went to college, which was a couple of decades ago, I actually lived in a dorm that was mixed. So we had guys that were just down the hall from us. Yeah, that is like completely a foreign thought (laughs) here. It's pretty when I when I had told other friends of mine, you know, that went to like IU Bloomington and Purdue University, I was like, yeah, I go to the school and it's this way. They're like, that sounds insane. (laughs) It kind of is. It it's a little. I mean, I I'll be perfectly honest. My husband and I got busted all the time just for you know, being sitting on our bed holding hands and wow. not having our feet on the floor watching Lost or whatever on TV, and and they would write you up because that's what they had to do. So that wow. whole very strict idea of what is prim and proper uh, still is, is floating about on campus today. So I lived in Archer and Asher. But the most interesting dorm is Gillespie. And Gillespie was originally Johnson Hall, and it was dedicated on February 11th of 1894. So we're talking, these are one of the very early, even before they had acquired new buildings, this is one of the OG original buildings. Okay. And it was, for its first year, it housed uh, female students, and then the second year it housed male students. In 1913, they decided they needed to expand on it, and then they permanently turned it into a girls' dorm. It is by far, out of the out of anything on this entire campus, the most haunted thing, haunted building. I'll be perfectly honest. You can walk into the building, and it'll kind of give you the duties. You just get that feeling that it has that air about it that something is a little bit off. Hmm. Now there are two kind of different classifications of hauntings in this dorm there's the unsubstantiated you know like lore type hauntings and then there's some that are substantiated with like actual reasons behind the stories and the the hauntings that people claim are in the dorm so kind of the unsubstantiated kind of a little bit more out there but i think is far more interesting and very creepy is that sometime during the 1980s, the school uh, was Cumberland College, and the mascot was an Indian, just the Indians. We're actually the Patriots now. The area is actually very rooted in Native American lore, and that's one of the things, if you go to like some of these smaller festivals around here, you'll hear about like the Native American folklore and how that ties into the Appalachian folklore. And to me, sometimes that's far more interesting <laughs> than sure. just the simple, like, it was a coal town. Evidently, back in the 1980s, there was a cheerleader that got pregnant. And as I explained before, this is a very, we can't even have guys in our dorm without being supervised. So premarital anything, <laughs> period, is not okay. Question. Yeah. So this cheerleader evidently got pregnant by a football player and that's not okay and into a lot of the parents that send their kids here that's not okay that's why they send their kids here because they're like this is a little safe haven of where i know my my kid's not going to get into a bunch of trouble so she got pregnant by a football player and evidently 
jumped off of one of the balconies that is around the top of this dorm. Well, now, to this day, her dorm room is padlocked shut. And that is true. The claim of, you know, a cheerleader jumping off of, of the balcony and dying is not necessarily substantiated. In, in all of my research, I did research years ago for the, the school newspaper. And then again, recently, and I could not find <laughs> any mention of a cheerleader jumping off of any, any of the buildings. However, I will say, uh, like many universities, they do a good job of covering up some of the crazy stuff that happens around here. I was going to ask you, just because they have such a stiff upper lip about everything, that maybe it was something they didn't want to have get reported. Right. And I I very much believe that that's possible um, because there have been things that have happened on this campus that you think, oh, that should definitely be on the news. That should definitely show up somewhere. And it hasn't. And I, as, as this uh, university is the one that butters my bread and because uh, <laughs> my husband works here, oh, I will gotcha. get into the specifics of that. You know, there, there are things that have happened that I'm like, yeah, that should have been on the news and it just doesn't get on the news. So I would not be shocked if they did go about covering this up. Her room is padlocked on the top floor. And if you go up there, sometimes anytime, and this is what is crazy to me about it, is if you go up there any time of the day, sometimes you can have actual activity go on around the door. Uh, you'll see lights come out from underneath the door. The door will shake. You can hear like whispering. Somebody will go and unpadlock the door and then they'll turn around to come back. And this, I actually heard this from an RA friend of mine. She unpadlocked the door to go get something in there because they store stuff in there, of course. And she turned around, walked to another dorm room, came back, and it was repadlocked. Mm. So crazy little instances like that happen quite frequently. And I know a friend of mine who lived in the room underneath, uh, below that room, would hear footsteps, just, you know, unexplainable things that she would, like, try to oh, you know, I'm hearing cars on the road or I'm hearing somebody walking in the hallway outside and we would all go at night and hang out in her room just to hear it. And it'd be like, yeah, that's that's definitely above your head. That's not something happening in the hallway next to us. The other actual substantiated haunting on campus and the actual source of the haunting is not known, but the previous president's wife, her name was Dinah. She was a wonderful is a wonderful woman she's very superstitious and she there and i can't remember the exact number of the rungs on the campus but every single staircase on campus that has like barred rungs on it there's a specific rung that is flipped upside down because she believed it was bad luck it was and that's that's like an old woodworker carpenters uh belief from way back when that she strongly believed in so every single staircase every single and they have some grand beautiful staircases on this campus that are just like you go like wow is this really a you know a university this looks like it should be at a like a large fine art center or something like that specifically there's one that i used to have to walk up and down every day that's in the grace crumb rollins art center that's attached to the cone theater 
and I was a communications and a theater major. So I saw, I saw this staircase every day and we would always try to figure it out. So when I did a little bit of research for the newspaper, like, yeah, Dinah, Dinah asked for that because it's an old carpenter's belief that you have to have this rung flipped upside down. Otherwise it's unlucky. So she had that done. So in that dorm, there's quite a few of those staircases that have the rung flip. And then on room 19, it is currently as room 19. But you can tell, and this was back in 2005, I have not been in there in a very long time because I've since graduated, of course. Um, but back in 2005, you could tell that based off the numbering of the rooms, this was room 13. Mm. And it's the only dorm that's this way. There are room 13s in other dorms on campus. But in this specific dorm, it is room 19. And it is by far one of the most active parts of campus to the extent that I did not know that there were hauntings in this dorm. I had friends. uh, This was like the first or second week of college of being here. And they were like, you've got to come stay in our room. I was like, why? (laughs) You elaborate why I need to stay in your room other than, you know, it's fun to sleep over in other people's rooms when you're in college. So I stay the night and just bonkers things would happen. Like, you would hear footsteps, you would hear violin music, you could hear somebody crying, whispering, singing opera. And I actually studied opera. So I was like, they were like, Jamie, quit singing. I'm like, I'm not singing. It's like four in the morning, guys. Why would I be singing? And it was just clear as a bell. You could tell it was specifically opera. Wow. The weirdest thing that happened was somebody used baby powder The next morning they got up and there was an actual footprint in the baby powder. So they actually took pictures of it. And I tried to get a hold of them because I was like, I'm going to be on a podcast. And I really, it would be cool if I had that picture. And they were like, I don't have it anymore. It creeped me out. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And this is a little bit before, like, you know, 2005, you know, wasn't quite as common to, we still had pretty old Nokias back. (laughs) That's true. So that that was kind of shook everybody just that you know seeing that footprint and the fact that it was room 13 and that was because Dinah you know did not want it to be 13 and for what reason in that specific dorm I was never able to find out I actually wanted to ask her one Christmas they do an open house on campus it's beautiful service with it's called Hanging of the Green, and they open up the presidential house to everybody on campus and anybody that visits for Hanging of the Green. And I wanted to ask her, and I just did not have the gall. <laughs> I was like, oh, I don't know if I should ask you about this. So, but that that just always, and what's really funny is then we just, we we're like, we need to, how do we find out if this place is haunted? And we Googled. And sure enough, the things that they were like experiencing showed up. On, I don't know if you've ever been to the Shadowlands website. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, showed up on Shadowlands. And we were like, oh, this is not good. And and Shadowlands can be really good for that. Sometimes I think they get a little bit, some of the details aren't quite there. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, showed up on Shadowlands. So then there are two other women's dorms that have pretty heavy activity. And they don't have anything that's like specific to them being that dorm or to you know, attached to any incident. Um, But Archer, which was built in 1966, and then Asher, that was built in 1976. 
both halves. I mean, we're talking, I tried to keep posters on my walls in Asher and they would never stay up. And I had asked a couple other friends about it and they were like, yeah, we can never keep our posters up either. And now were you pinning them to the wall? How are you attaching them? Any way I could. That's what was crazy about mm. it. So uh, it has a uh, concrete walls. So we use like a hardcore tack. We use masking tape. We use anything we could and they would just slide right off. Interesting. Yeah, it was, it was creepy. The air you would, uh, it's a suite style norm. So you'd have like the big main part of the suite and then three rooms and a bathroom. And we tried to like one night we turned the air off because it just got really cold in there. So we turned the air off and about three in the morning, we were all freezing. We're like, what the hell or what the heck is going on here? So we went and the air was just cranked to like 60, something ridiculous. It was super cold. And you could, we went, we turned it off and we put our hands up by the vents and it still felt like there was cold air coming out of them. We also had a spider problem. What was weird about that is that it was not in any other room in the dorm. And we found that out because I had talked to an RA. I was like, listen, we've got these spiders. They keep showing up. We are not hikers or anything like that. We don't go out a ghost in around town we don't you know do anything crazy outside to be bringing in these spiders and by the end of the semester and this was over the summer i had like a baggie full of spiders oh my gosh not that i am usually in the habit of collecting spiders but i did it because i felt crazy they would have uh people come in and check the facilities people come in and and try to like, hey, we, you know, look for spiders and spider sacks and all that junk. And oh, we don't see any. And then, you know, a couple hours later, my friends and I would find spiders everywhere. Uh, that'd be bad. And I wouldn't even need a haunting to have me creeped out if that was the case. Right. It was just, ugh, ugh. it was just gross and not fun. And uh, so that those are the building. I mean, just kind of all over campus, you just, especially in the older parts of campus, you get that eerie sense of like, this is a very old place. People have definitely lived and died in the area and they're still, still hanging out. Just kind of that feeling that all over campus. There's one more thing that's kind of interesting and a little eerie about the campus. Dinah and Jim Taylor actually lost their son, unfortunately, in a car accident in 1991. His room, uh, Dinah kept in complete tact. It, it, it is intact to the point of the exact day that he died. To, oh, wow. When you go into his bedroom, there are darts stuck in the ceiling still from where he threw them. And so, like I said, she was very superstitious. And so she wanted to do something to the, the stadium, of course, on campus is dedicated to him, uh, the football stadium. And she also wanted to do something to commemorate him and to commemorate donors and other students, faculty, staff that have lost kids. So in two different buildings, there are actually these ceilings that have these, you, if you to look at them, you're just like, oh, there's cherubs up there little baby cherubs they're super cute fluffy wings big fluffy clouds blue background they're gorgeous and they're pretty interesting to look at and each one is like doing different things there's one that's painting there's one riding a pegasus they're you know some have harps just different neat little things well if you read the plaques around the area each of these are, are children that have passed away there are two of these 
ceiling girls. There's one that is in Grace Crumb Rollins by the, the staircase I was talking about. And then there's another one that's at the Cumberland Inn. And the Cumberland Inn is the hotel that is owned by the school where they have a lot of kids work that are on work study. And then some local people work there. My husband actually worked there as the night auditor, which always creeps me out. Kind of a creepy place at night. And that is because actually a really interesting place to go if you do ever get the opportunity you're on 75 and you can just kind of poke your head into the not necessarily make your way down to campus, but you can get into the hotel. They have a museum in the hotel. One half of it is houses the Heinkelman Life Science Collection and then the Carl Williams Cross Museum. And the Cross Museum is actually one of the world's largest collection of crosses. Hmm. And it's pretty interesting to look through, but you can definitely, it's again, another one of those places in the school on this campus in this area that just kind of gives you that eerie feeling. And especially like the life science collection, it's a lot of taxidermy animals. <laughs> They're neat to just be able to see, especially for this area where there's, there's not many museums and things like that within a good, like, I would say like a hundred, uh, not quite a hundred, maybe like 60 to 90 miles in either direction. So it's, it's a nice little touch for the area. When you combine like the cherub ceiling and we are a bit, I want to say a bit crass. <laughs> we always called them the dead baby ceilings when we were in school because <laughs> gotcha. that's what they are. I mean, they're, they're children that have passed away, but the, both the Grace Crumb Rollins and the Cumberland Inn have these ceilings. And then the Inn has this life science museum and a cross collection as well. Like I said, everything just has this air of being very old and very, like... Weird. Yeah, right. And sometimes, for me anyway, and I I kind of talked to my friends about this too, just where the religious aspects of older religious things are concerned, it's just kind of creepy. <laughs> A little bit creepy. Mm-hmm. I understand what you're saying. Right. Pretty much that's, that's all the hauntings that are on actual campus. Now, in town... It's actually, I think, a little bit more fun. And that's why I, I messaged you. I was like, well, I kind of dug up some more stuff that's a little bit, a little bit more lore, but it's, it's pretty fun. The, the school has a couple different high schools, middle schools, elementary schools, and things like that. And there's actually one school that's kind of a combination of a middle and a high school. And that's the Williamsburg Independent School. And creepily enough for me, as I found this out over the past couple days, is right next door to my house. Oh. So, yeah, so now knowing this, I'm like, oh gosh. When the school was built in 1983, and then it was remodeled in 1992, it was actually built on the site of an old cemetery. It was one of the oldest cemeteries in town and housed quite a few different Native American tombstones, grave sites. Some of these tombstones and grave sites still exist on the grounds of the school and they are tucked back by the football field which is literally right next to my house so when i read that i was i was a bit taken back it's right next to you so yeah (laughs) it's not really something you want right next door right and i've lived here seven years and i had no idea so that's built on a cemetery so are you guys okay where your house is sitting well, oddly enough, we've never had any type of experience. Everything kind of runs around on the same road right along through here. Uh, so actually, and I was going to mention this earlier, but it works now too. The building my husband works in was actually a funeral home. 
And so we are like, well, what if, you know, like he carried something home from work? Like, because, you know, they're traveling spirits and things like that. And like, what if he carried a spirit home from work? Well, they've, I asked a bunch of people there and and they said they've (laughs) never seen anything. And we've been over there very late at night before with him working on stuff, especially with baby. It's just kind of easier sometimes to just go in and work late at night. And we've never seen anything. However, now that I know this about the school being right next to the house, I have had walking at night. Uh, One of the things I like to do now with the baby is I like to walk around with her. And sometimes I do it late at night because it's easiest. And I have had some creepy experiences of seeing, like, shadowy figures. And now it kind of makes sense. I'm like, oh, maybe that's what I'm seeing. Oh, that is interesting. Right. And oddly enough, one of the, there's a couple different spirits that people have seen in the, the school. One of them is a Native American chief. And I don't know how they know specifically that it's a Native American chief. But they say it's a Native American chief on the back of a horse, and he will charge through this long stretch of hallway that they have. Hmm. And then they see a couple different kids, and that kind of always makes sense to me at a school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, nev- nothing ever really descript about these kids, but they just see kids. So I found that to be pretty interesting. That these that baffles me. Like you're building a school for kids, you're gonna leave graves on site. Does seem a bit bizarre. (laughs) Yeah, but you know it could be there. You know, a lot of people around here are very superstitious, so it's very possible that those specific graves had some reason for them not to want to move them. Sure. The independent school is pretty neat. Then across town, there is a is Highland Cemetery, and Highland Cemetery is beautiful. It is. You know, very well manicured, very well taken care of. And it's up high on this hill. So if you're in certain parts of the town, you can see it from, you know, different angles. And it's just, it's a gorgeous cemetery. And in the cemetery, there is a tombstone that I have loved ever since I've I've lived here. All it says on it is unknown boy. Hmm. And he was buried in July of 1943. And I've heard two different accounts. Um, one was in a death and dying class that I actually took here at school. The account that I heard in the death and dying cl- class was that he was a young man who died in war. And his family had moved moved away and they couldn't find him. So they didn't know much about him mm-hmm. other than that he lived in the area. And so they buried him, you know, in his unknown boy tomb in his unknown boy grave. And then I've heard from locals that I have discussed it with that he was actually a boy from a Williamsburg boys home. So I don't know which one is, is the true account, but they're both pretty interesting. You know, it, it does always interest me when I go into a cemetery and you'll see that, or it'll just say infant or something. It's like nobody was knows who this person is. And I guess, you know, today we even have that problem. We still have Jane Doe's out there and John Doe's out there. Right. And that's that's kind of cr- you would think with social media and the existence of, of records out the wazoo that you would not have that happen today. But it does. Sure. So one of the other very and this, I think, is the most interesting. And you were talking about spirits that are not like necessarily like black figures and and things like that. This is one of the most interesting things I've heard in terms of Lord. It kind of reminds me of like a chupacabra type thing or just something, uh, La Leona, like something that's so old and so 
built and ingrained into the area that you hear about it and you hear about it in so many different forms, but it always has this one central story. So what this is called, it's called and literally, this is the name of it. The Mulberry, Mulberry Black Thing. <laughs> okay. Super descriptive, right? So the Mulberry Black Thing, this entity, and I'm calling it entity because honestly, to me, hearing all the stories that I've heard, that I've researched, that uh, you know have just been passed on from generation to generation, there's really no way to peg this thing down. The stories of it date back to the early 1900s. And it's possible that some of the lore connects to a mine explosion that happened in an adjoining city, Jellicoe. There was a, gi- a giant mine explosion. A-, a lot of people passed away. And so I've heard that it's an actual energy that kind of spurned from that. I've also heard, and I think this would be way creepier, is that it is a cursed energy that was created by a local witch. And this witch still to this day controls it. Now, to me, that's kind of goofy because that would mean she has to be the oldest witch ever if the stories are dating back to the 1900s. But creepy nonetheless. It is referred to as a spirit, as an entity, as an energy, and it's been described as as a humanoid, a headless man, a black cloud, an apparatus, and then this is where it gets interesting, a black leopard, Whoa. a bear, and a giant snake. Golly, talk about all over the map. Right. I just call it an entity because how do you put a descriptor on something that exists to these people in all these forms? And you'll have, like, I was going through topics of one of those websites that once you get on one thing, you just keep going, you keep clicking. And I was clicking through some of the stories and people will literally argue, oh, there's no way it's a leopard. There's no way it's a leopard. Because when I saw it, it was a man and he was blacker than the blackest night. He was blacker than the blackest thing you have ever seen. He was just a man, but he wasn't a man. He was a silhouette of a man and he sat in my truck. Oh, well, my grandma saw him back in the 1930s. And he was a leopard. He was a full leopard. And then when she got closer to it, it was a bear. So wow. <laughs> it's it's very interesting how they all say, and, and this pretty much is universal, when they see it, they feel almost like dead inside. Everything, mm-hmm. their body will go cold. The hair on their arms and the back of their neck will stand up. They feel like time stands still. If they have animals with them, I've, I've read and heard a couple of different stories where people have had animals with them. The animals will just be dead still and not know how to respond. Uh, one one story that I heard was a man as a kid was walking around. And, and I've heard that it's specifically in one area. And then I've also heard that, you know, this thing can be found all over the place in Williamsburg. So... That's neither here nor there, but uh, a, a man that lived specifically in the area of Mulberry, where they say this thing came from, he said he was he was like a six-year-old kid walking around outside with his cat in the dead of day, and they saw this giant thing that looked like a giant leopard and or black panther, and he said he felt like all the air just sucked out of his body, and his cat just broke. And it's in its footsteps just didn't move. Wow. And what's interesting about those stories is we have stories down here in Florida that are very similar of this mysterious Black Panther that nobody can see anywhere, but you hear stories all the time about sightings of this. 
Oh, that's weird. Yeah. So the the fact that you're talking about a black leopard that people are seeing, I, you know, it seems like there's a lot of those stories out there that are very similar where it's this black, uh, I guess, cat-like creature that's a large cat. And uh, cat. Yeah. Wow. From uh, a very good friend of mine who has lived here his entire life, he said his father saw it, but he saw it as what looked like the black silhouette of a bear. And when he had heard the, res- like, he had told other people about it, they were like, oh, well, that thing will jump on the back of your horse and it will attack and kill your horse. Oh. Or it it will attack and maul your mule or your goat. And there was one specific story where this guy claims up, down, left and right that he saw this giant black silhouette of a bear attack and kill his goat. I, you know, how do you how do you question somebody saying something like that? It's like you clearly saw something. Yeah, I mean, he's not going to lie about something like that. Right. And it's been seen in the daytime, which that's what shakes me. I'm like, usually something has to have a lot of power for it mm-hmm. to be able to be seen in the daylight. Sure. I can't even tell you how many stories there are. There's so many. Uh, the My favorite one, and I actually have somebody that was pretty similar to it pretty much they said like this thing is like an amorphous collection of psychic energy is how they describe it and i love that (laughs) (laughs) and they said it can act as a prism on the person who encounters it which that's kind of what it sounds like to me that maybe people are seeing it in these different iterations because it's reflecting maybe something that that they fear Mm -hmm. so if they are more likely to fear just a black spirit or a a black shadow person that's what they're seeing if they're more likely to fear a large bear that's what they're seeing but it's always something that's as they say like blacker than the blackest black and looks like a silhouette almost like a cameo necklace type silhouette just you can't make any distinguishing features out just the shape interesting and that to me is is pretty bonkers pretty bananas and pretty cool and we actually went out and tried to find this thing. So this is where I I have a little bit of personal experience with it. We went out and tried to find this thing, and we're idiots. <laughs> Going, <laughs> like 19-year-old idiots driving around in a little white uh, Chevy car with a giant Jesus sticker on It was my husband's car. Giant Jesus sticker on the back windshield. And California license plates. Driving around the haulers in Kentucky. Not smart. (laughs) And we decide, okay, we're going to do it. We're going to go find Mulberry Black. We're going to record it. We're going to be those people. So we're driving, we're driving, and we're we're out. And all of a sudden, we're on this very curvy back road. And this pack of dogs comes in front of the car. And they won't move. They won't go anywhere. And so we once the dogs finally got out of our way they decided they were gonna like swing around in the back of the car and chase the car so we have this pack of dogs chasing our car and we get up to this part in the road where it looks like there's no road left and all it says is do not enter or you'll be shot oh my gosh and so of course we enter and (laughs) (laughs) great this is kind of a, a theme of our our existence in this area my husband and i is like driving down these roads that we shouldn't be and almost getting shot. Not not good. <laughs> we get out of there as fast as we can and we all just feel like this like cold, eerie feeling just come over the car. 
and we didn't see anything, but we just felt like we all felt sick. Like we did not feel good. We felt sick to our stomachs. And that kind of brings me to the adjacent town. So there's Williamsburg. Williamsburg is kind of broken up into counties that bleed into other cities. So Williamsburg's got Whitley County and then it's got Laurel County. Okay. And Laurel County actually bleeds into the town that's next to us, which is Corbin. Corbin has some of the most, they're similar to the story that I had told you at the beginning about the hands slapping all over the outside of our car. They have some places that are pretty similar to that sort of energy of these just vicious, nasty spirits that you don't want to mess with. And when I tell you the name of the place, you're not going to be surprised why. The area in Corbin, first I want to talk about, is called Devil's Creek. Okay. <laughs> and it's always been known to be a place where it's actually nestled in the Daniel Boone National Forest. And as you know, or maybe don't know, but a lot of people know, in national forests, you have to have like a permit to burn, mm-hmm. like to have a, a fire pit or anything like that. So one night we had heard rumors, and I will get into some more of the specifics of this place. We had heard rumors that this is an area that is heavy in Satanist activity. Okay. And being as this is the, you know, religious area that it was, we were like, there's no way. Well, come to find out, and in, in, I don't want to disclose where I live for this reason, but there is a, a very heavy area in this, in this specific area of Devil's Creek that is KKK activity. We kind of heard from the, a few local people that with that KKK activity does come some Satanist activity as well. So we decided to drive out. And we drove down into Devil's Creek. And you get to this point where you have a choice. You either go forward or you go back from where you came from. And in the middle of the state park, mind you, where you know you're not supposed to, you have to have a permit to burn. There's a giant fire pit with all of these men in robes standing around the fire pit. And all these white horse trailers with red, giant red Ford trucks. I couldn't make it up if I wanted to. It was like, I'm, I'm getting residual creepiness just talking about it. And we were, we were rushed out of there. It was four of us and my husband, again, stupid us in his California car, rushed out of this area. And so we didn't know any of the specifics of this place at the time. We just heard, oh, well, it, they're supposed to be doing sacrifices and creepy things and blah, blah, blah. We thought it was a joke, you know, as kids do. And I, to this day, believe that what we saw was more than likely what we think we saw, which we didn't see any actual, like, sacrifice or anything crazy like that. But we definitely saw a congregation of men in robes with red trucks with white horse trailers. Yeah, they weren't having a little weenie roast out there. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And we were followed out of there by red Uh. trucks. These red trucks followed us all the way back to uh, a Waffle House that's kind of close by. And they sat outside of that Waffle House while we sat in the Waffle House, freaked out, like did not want to leave. They sat until they were like comfortable that we were not going to go back down there. Mm -hmm. So after we did that, we decided to do a little digging and come to find out that I guess in the 1900s, there was a church called the Wolf Pit Church and Cemetery. And according to legend, that this was a Satanist church. And until the day that it was bulldozed in the 1980s, 
that pentagrams would be you could find pentagrams all over the place in this area and i know a lot of that like is a little bit spoopy because you know people are like oh well how do you what do you mean satanist you know just because somebody's satanist doesn't mean they necessarily worship the devil the, the devil do you mean like uh levain satanist or do you well whatever they were <laughs> they worshiped at this church and there was proof of said worship on the outside and inside of the church and potentially still a place where even though the building isn't there physically they still worship to this day what's also creepy about this area is there's a an area called dog slaughter and it is what it sounds like mm. a bunch of dogs were slaughtered there by bears so oh. the area is called dog slaughter it's also said that if you're out that area between Dog Slaughter and Devil's Creek, great names. I was going to say, uh, this is really not a place that sounds enticing to visit. Only if you're a dumb 19-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's, there, it is said that there is a bird man, a half bird, half man, that you can find that is somewhere in between these two areas. A lot. I mean, all you have to do is literally Google Devil's Creek. Corbin, Kentucky, and you will see the EVPs or hear the EVPs and you will see the orbs and the shadow figures. People have caught some crazy stuff out there. I mean, it's a well-documented area for hauntings. Uh, quite a few different paranormal investigators in the area have gone out there and just gotten great EVPs of people saying, like, get out now. You're not safe. I talked to a guy. I worked at a donut shop and he came in. And he said when he was there, he left with welts on his back. Mm. So something touched like, him. Right. Some something happened. And if if you go and we did not get out of the car, the car, mind you, and we have since been back there and we don't dare get out of the car because you just get that feeling. You're like, this is not, I'm not supposed to be here. And I know like. One of these days, I'm going to get the gall, and I'm going to go with, there's a couple different paranormal investigating teams that go around here. I'm going to get the gall up to go with them and actually, you know, go experience it. But it's otherworldly. It, it, there should be a horror movie filmed on this road. It looks it looks just made for it. Maybe that's my, my lot in life is to film a, a horror movie on this road. I don't that know. Right? It sounds like something might go very wrong if I do. There's Devil's Creek, but then there's also a, a, an equally beautiful and terrifying thing. Right by, actually, uh, where Devil's Creek is, you can go to the Cumberland Falls. And the Cumberland Falls, I'm telling you, if you ever have the opportunity, you're out in this area. The Cumberland Falls are one of the most beautiful things. I, and I've I've gone hiking. Like, I've been to Pikes Peak. I've I've been out to San Diego. Like I've seen beautiful places in the country. This this is otherworldly. It's like I, I'm trying to think of the best way to explain it, but it's it's just in the middle of the Appalachian Mountains. It's it's waterfalls. They're beautiful. You can go swimming, and we used to go swimming, and we go rock climbing, and uh, it's just it's it's gorgeous. But the coolest thing about it is that they have this thing called the Moonbow. And what the moonbow is, is that it, it, it's a lunar rainbow and it is so rare. I have never heard of a moonbow before. This is fascinating. They're beautiful. So it, there's some actual specific things that have to happen for a moonbow to take place. The moon has to be very low in the sky, no more than 42 degrees from the horizon. The moon phase has to be a full moon or nearly full. 
the sky has to be perfectly clear and very dark, which I can attest to that. Like it's a specific time of year that will happen and it won't be a perfectly clear night out. And all these people will travel from all around the world. It won't happen. And you should see the disappointment. It's like people get so upset and I don't blame them because Mm -hmm. it's such a neat thing to see you travel, you know, far to see it and, and you don't get to see it. And the last thing that happens is the water droplets, water droplets, must be present in the air in the opposite direction of the moon. Okay. So it is that specific. I guess, oh, I didn't realize. So there there are some other locations where there are moonbows. So Yosemite has one, and then obviously Cumberland Falls, and the Victoria Falls will occasionally get them. Some of the places that get them, but they don't get them on a regular occurrence like Corbin does. So they have a festival where you can go and you pretty much guaranteed that you'll be able to see this whereas other places you may not necessarily get the opportunity to see it because it is so difficult for it to occur so because of of the beauty of the area of cumberland falls and because of the moonbow there's some pretty cool hauntings that go around there there are some stories of of kids graduating high school and going out rock climbing and jumping off the rocks and dying There are some of, there's two different, we got two different ghost brides, as I know many people love a good ghost bride. It's our woman in white. Exactly. We got two, got two women in white. So the first one is 1950s. A young bride was enjoying her honeymoon and she met a fatal end. And that's because she was really, really excited. She wanted to take a photo right up, bumped up next to the falls and fell in and died. And then we've got a woman in the 1960s who's on her honeymoon at the falls and dies in a car wreck. And so she and her husband still haunt the area as well. It's actually what's what's ironic is that the cliff where the bride fell is actually known as Lover's Leap. (laughs) I love it when they call it like Lover's Leap. It sounds so romantic. Right. But then you find out why it's called that. Yeah. Oh, Oh, no. I'm always a fan of like, it just reminds me of like the Haunted Mansion or something. Like you have this beautiful bride and something unfortunate happens. And then you get this mark on the rest of forever of this sad, beautiful story. And that's what goes down at the Cumberland Falls. And like I said, if you're ever in the area, it is it is a sight to see. The campus, the, the University of the Cumberland's campus is pretty gorgeous, too. Um, They put a lot of effort, money, time into the beautification of this campus. It's actually one of the things that got me to go here. It looks like Colonial Williamsburg. So uh, all the buildings are colonial themed. And then there are statues of presidents around campus and a little little schmoopy on its own. But it's fun. Well, I want to thank you, Jamie, for suggesting... First of all, the university, and then when you started looking into it and going, you know what, this whole area has all kinds of crazy stuff going on. I have a feeling it has a lot to do with the Appalachian Mountains and stuff, too. There's so much lore in those. The best way it was put to me was a man that's been farming in Williamsburg since he was a kid in the 1960s. He said to me one day, when you are this deep in the mountains, there's an energy and a voice that sings through the area and it traps souls. Wow. That's an interesting way to put it. Well, thank you for joining me. You had wonderful information and I always love it when I get to have listeners on with me who've actually had experiences too. And it just kind of validates 
the stories that you hear going on. Because you can go on a campus and have them say, oh, yeah, that is haunted over there in that dorm. It's quite another to have you say, you know what? I was sleeping there and I heard somebody sing an right. opera. And that's not something that's normal. <laughs> right. Very cool. You have a great rest of your weekend. Thank you. You as well. Thank you so much for having me on. This has been an extreme pleasure and an extreme honor. All right. You have a great one. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. I had been looking around for some ghost stories as well. And I had a book that I picked up at Mammoth Cave when I was in Louisville, Kentucky. It's called Haunted Houses and Family Ghosts of Kentucky. And it was written by William Linwood Montel. And there is a ghost story that comes out of Whitley County called The Ghost of a Slain Robbery Victim. Basically, this person was telling William the story that she had heard from her grandmother. What had happened is her grandmother had gone to stay with her sister and they were eating at about seven o'clock at night. And they heard a noise in the cellar and her grandmother was a little bit startled and she looked at her sister and said, well, what was that? Her sister told her that an old man had been living there for a long time and some robbers came in and they took him down to the cellar, clearly not because they were going to let him live, but because they wanted a place to kill him and hide the body. Ever since that had happened, apparently this house had been haunted and they thought it was probably by this man who had been killed. After she tells the grandmother about this story, they all go to bed. It was about midnight and her grandmother woke up and she heard footsteps coming up the stairs. And these footsteps walked to the end of the hall. They turned around and then walked back down the stairs. Her grandmother got out of bed and went out to see who was there. She was like, I hope that was my sister wandering down the hallway. She found nothing. Nobody had gotten out of bed. So like so many of you, when you tell us your stories, she went back to bed. <laughs> I don't know how you guys do it. If I heard a ghost, I don't know that I could go back to bed. She falls asleep. Everything is fine until 3 a.m. rolls around and she hears something knocking against the wall and it knocked about six times and then it stopped. Well, her grandmother was really scared at this point. She's heard footsteps. She's been told this story. Now she's hearing knocking on the wall. So she goes downstairs to wake up her sister. So her sister gets up to listen. But of course, the knocking was already done. That was the only experience that her grandmother had had there. But shortly thereafter, her sister decided that she was going to move from the house. And that is what they did the very next day. She didn't even wait. So I thought that was an interesting little story to add into the other things that are going on here in Whitley County. This area along the Cumberland River that is home to Whitley County seems to have many ghost stories connected to it. And the legends are fun, too. Is this area of the Cumberlands haunted? That is for you to decide. Another great area to check out in Kentucky. I want to thank Jamie for joining me and sharing all of that. We'd love to have you check out historygoesbump.com. And if you want to send me some feedback, you can do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com. And I've already started getting some stories from you guys for the Halloween episode, which will be coming up October 31st, 2018. If you have a haunting story, something unexplained that happened to you, something of paranormal value, let me know about it. I'd love to share it on the Halloween special. That's usually what we do. It doesn't have to be at a historic location. It can be at a home that you were at, whether it's like this grandmother who was staying at her sister's haunted house or a house you grew up in, or maybe you were on a ghost tour and something happened. would love to hear about it. You can either write it out and I will tell it for you, or you can join me and we'll record you, or you can record it yourself and we'll share it. I know a lot of listeners don't listen to the show right when it drops, so this will be a past thing. But this show will drop on July 26, 2018. And tomorrow, July 27, 2018, there's going to be a total lunar eclipse. And this is going to be the longest lunar eclipse of the century. So make sure you get out there to see it. Hopefully you have clear skies. 
Hopefully I'll get a chance to see the lunar eclipse because I'm going to be going on a ghost tour in Sanford, Florida. If you are in the area, I'd love to have you join me. It's 9 p.m. Eastern time. If you just look up Sanford Ghost Tour, it's the only one that's there. I don't know if they'll still have spots open, but would love to have you guys join me if you're anywhere in that central Florida area. We finally have running shirts up in the Emporium for the History Ghost Bump Running Club. I'd love to have you check that out. Thank you so much to April Barber for making the design and uh, it took me a little while to get it vectorized so that we can put it on any kind of color or whatever you want to do with it. But uh, it looks fabulous. Really love it. It's very cute. And any of you can join us in the HGB Running Club. You don't have to be runners. You can be walkers as well. It's just a place to talk about our running achievements or weight loss achievements or maybe your walking achievements. And we do a lot of the Yes Fit races, which are virtual races, and you actually get a medal in the mail after you complete them. So we'd love to have you join us. It's on Facebook. Just look up HGB Running Club and ask to join and I will bring you in. You can hang out with us. August 11th, we have Cemetery Bingo 2. This is our scavenger hunt. If you haven't gotten your cards, check them out at the Spooktacular Crew in the Files tab or let me know you need them and I will email them out to you. If you are an executive producer and you participate, you will be getting an HGB logo sticker in the mail. So make sure you have your mailing addresses updated on Patreon. Have some reviews to share with you from Apple Podcasts. The first one is from CC Gruten's favorite podcast ever, five stars. My children and I take road trips and we love this podcast. I love the combination of history and spooky. We've probably listened to the Waverly episode a thousand times. How awesome because if anybody listened to the interview that I did with the Journey Through the Gate podcast, I did say that that was one of my favorite podcasts that I've produced. Really loved doing that one and going to that location. Nicole M7, great show, five stars. Awesome show, great historical facts mixed with paranormal stories. I always look forward to new shows. Thank you for the great content. Thank you, Nicole. And Oi Phillies, great podcast, five stars. Great show. Love learning about history and ghost stories is an extra bonus. Just learned about Fort Mifflin that's near my home, but never went. Visiting this weekend, thanks to this great show. I love hearing that. I love that we get things on your bucket list and get you guys out checking out some of these places or going on ghost tours. Let us know if you have a great time. If anything happens, we'd love to hear about it. want to thank you all for joining me on this episode. I have been your host, Diane. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. Dispatches from the Grave Digger. We like to welcome to the cemetery, Yesencia Martinez. She's going to be getting a chest tomb. Mort is so happy that he has work to do again. I'm going to dance a little jig. Be sociable. Drop the chain rattling, neck biting, and shape shifting, and join us on Facebook and Twitter at History Goes Bump. Like the page and follow us. <laughs>